As health care reform sweeps the nation, changes are also in the offing to the emergency department and demands that it be freed for more efficient purposes like disasters and emergency preparedness rather than routine conditions that should have patients in non-urgent settings. So what will tomorrow's ER be needed for? You're listening to ReachMD Radio on XM160, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Bruce Japson, your host, and joining me today is Dr. Angela Gardner. Dr. Gardner is president of the American American College of Emergency Physicians, a national medical specialty society representing emergency medicine. Based in Dallas, ASAP represents 53 state chapters across the country, as well as the District of Columbia and Puerto Rico, in an effort to advance the profession through continuing education, research, and public education. Dr. Gardner, who is also an assistant professor of emergency medicine and surgery at the University of Texas Southwestern Medical Center in Dallas, has served in many leadership roles at ASAP, including on its board of directors since 2003 and the chair of the National Report Card on Emergency Medicine Task Force. Dr. Gardner is an author and noted speaker. She attended Texas A&M University and is a graduate of Texas Tech University Health Sciences Center School of Medicine. She completed a residency in emergency medicine at the Texas Tech Regional Academic Health Center in El Paso and is board certified in emergency medicine. We're so happy to have her joining us from her offices in Dallas, Texas, Angela Gardner, welcome to ReachMD Radio on XM160, the channel for medical professionals. Thank you, Bruce. It's a pleasure to be here today. Well, one of the things that many things that have preoccupied me in my writings about healthcare is this whole focus on the medical home and outpatient. And a lot of people think that the uninsured are flocking to emergency rooms for routine things. But ASAP has been making some comments about some new studies that show that perhaps not as many non-urgent cases as people think are going to emergency rooms and that indeed emergency rooms are used for disasters and emergency things. That's true. And we've been saying that for a number of years because it's been true for a very long time, actually. It's one of those myths, if you will, about emergency medicine. In fact, you know, the CDC says that in 2006, 12.9% of our patients were non-urgent, and that number is actually getting lower. So in 2007, which is the latest available data, only 7.9% of our patients were non-urgent. That means that 92% of our patients needed to be seen or needed to be seen before the next 24 hours. Now, what kind of cases are non-urgent? Because I think this would surprise people. I know this data is from 2007, but when you think of like high unemployment and so forth and just the mentality of someone who might be poor and not have a medical home or even today's yuppie who has a sick kid and they freak out and they bring them to the emergency room, I think that people would be surprised to hear that. That's because it is a very pervasive myth, and I think it comes from, actually, people who visited emergency departments, and, you know, that's a great number of people in the United States, 124 million or so every year come to the emergency department. So basically, someone you know has been to the emergency department, and they go there and they have a problem. Let's say um, they have a bad cut on their arm and it has to have stitches, so they need 10 stitches, and they're sitting there, and they look at the person next to them and they say, that person's not as sick as I am. I ought to be getting my stitches. I think that's the basis of this myth and why it's pervasive. What they don't know is that the person sitting next to them is actually, you know, has a ruptured appendix and may be very sick. And, of course, we don't keep running totals of the diagnoses at the moment. So if you're sitting in the waiting room, you can't look out and say, well, they're taking care of 10 heart attacks today. 
you can only know that you have a problem and it's probably making you wait longer than you want to wait. And I think that's the source of the myth. If indeed there is this myth, how does that hurt the profession and why is that such a big deal? I mean, is it going to hurt funding for emergency departments and things being misread? That's exactly correct. I believe, and the college believes, that there are some high-level decisions being made based on faulty information. One of those has to do with the idea that if you had more primary care practitioners, you would have fewer emergency department visits. Let me just say there's no data that proves that one way or the other, and there's no data that lends to that. The trouble is it makes sense from one point of view. If you, for instance, control your diabetes better, you might not end up in the emergency department with a heart attack as soon. But the fact is that if you do have a heart attack, you do need an emergency department. And so some of these things cannot be prevented. People are going to have car wrecks. They're going to have heart attacks. They're going to have strokes. They will have emergencies that need to be treated. And so it's sort of faulty logic to say that pouring more money into primary care is going to cut emergency department visits. And then if I could just take the liberty of adding to that, you know, less than 3% of all healthcare spending in the nation is spent on emergency care, and 7.9% of our 124 million patients are non-urgent. So if you take 3% and you multiply it by 7.9%, you come up with budget dust. It's not enough money to make a difference in the healthcare delivery system. Well, then why do people, when they come to emergency rooms, they're crowded, they have to wait forever, Do they need to be bigger? Are they staffed appropriately? Are they getting the resources they need? And what if you could reduce the 7 to 8% to zero? Would that help solve the problem? I mean, it would just seem that the economics of more primary care and an emphasis on education might help. I'm so glad you asked this question. One of the reasons that emergency departments are crowded these days is something called boarding. And boarding is the practice of keeping a patient in the emergency department after it's known that they need to be admitted to the hospital. And depending on your location, people are boarded, kept in the emergency department for hours and days longer than they need to be. If you have 30% of your beds tied up with patients who belong inside the hospital, then that's 30% less patients that you can see who are in your waiting room. And that is the primary source of crowding in the emergency department, not the non-urgent people coming through the door, but people not being able to get to their beds inside the hospital. If you're just joining us, or even if you're new to our channel, you're listening to ReachMD Radio on XM160, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Bruce Japson, your host. I'm talking to Dr. Angela Gardner, who is president of the American College of Emergency Physicians, and she's also a professor at the University of Texas Southwestern Medical Center in Dallas, and we're talking about the appropriate use of emergency rooms, and she's telling us about there's a myth out there that, in fact, a lot of non-urgent care, routine things, people who don't have a medical home are going to the emergency room, but in reality, she says that's less than 10% of the visits. So, doctor, you were just telling us about this practice called boarding. Is this a hospital policy, or could you elaborate on that a little bit? Boarding occurs because hospitals are crowded. I don't want to throw hospitals under the bus either. I mean, hospitals, many hospitals have taken measures to increase the number of patients that they can get out of the emergency department. So part of it is making sure that beds turn over correctly, that the rooms are clean, that there are enough nurses inside the hospital. There are a number of factors that affect boarding, but boarding is one of the number one problems in emergency medicine today. Do they need better triage? Is that what they need? I mean, I'm sort of thinking disasters, emergencies, and if you have a Hurricane Katrina or some type of a major fire, terrorist attack, 
the boarding situation would be worse in that too, wouldn't it? I mean, do they need better triage in emergency rooms? I'm not sure that better triage is the answer. I mean, I think that the triage system works the way it is supposed to, and it separates people into different categories from the very sick to the not very sick. The problem is what you do with people after that, and it's interesting that you raised the question of a disaster because I worked in Galveston through Hurricane Ike. We were able to empty our emergency departments very quickly, and, of course, the entire community left the island. So what we find in in disasters is that people do focus on only the very, very sick and urgently ill. The trouble is we have a healthcare system that has to go on every day, and every day is not a disaster. So we have to deal with the everyday problems. And you point to something that is very real, and that is that emergency departments increasingly are used by private practitioners to do workups on their patients. A good, for instance, is a young man with abdominal pain who's vomiting. If he goes to his family practitioner, which some would argue is the thing he should do, and the family practitioner thinks he has appendicitis, the quickest, most efficient, most cost-effective workup is to get him to the emergency department where we can do lab, exam, possibly a CAT scan, and immediately get in touch with a surgeon to take care of the patient. And all of that can happen within a span of a few hours. Whereas if the practitioner has to send the patient out, they have to go to a lab and get lab done, and then they have to wait on results. They might have to then schedule a CAT scan for the next day, which then they have to wait on results again, and then contact a surgeon and get the patient in to be seen. You you could sort of get the picture here. Right. What seems like what you're getting at is that when you have these studies and so forth, it's not necessarily just like, all right, get them out of the emergency room because they might end up back into it. It seems like it's an infrastructure issue. And that different markets might be prepared for it and different markets are not. And that's true, and there is some variability. But increasingly, as emergency physicians have become increasingly sophisticated and as technology has increased, the emergency department is the place where you send someone for an expert opinion. Well, and one thing I also wanted to get at, because this Centers for Disease Control and Prevention study that you say debunks the the myth of emergency departments that are overcrowded with non-urgent patients, they're not going to do that anymore. Could you tell me a little bit about that? Yeah, we actually have some meetings scheduled to meet with the CDC. They have gone from a very detailed report that is trended yearly to a more truncated report with shorter information. The problem with that from an emergency point of view is that the entire emergency community uses that data to talk about myths exactly like this. And without the data, we, of course, would not be able to make a scientific argument. What do you think the answer is to ridding patients who have non-urgent conditions of the emergency room or dispelling the myth? Is there something in healthcare reform that was not achieved, or what do people need to know about this? Well, people just need to know the truth, and I want to thank you for doing this interview because it is a question of getting the word out there that our patients are sick and they do need to be treated, and you need to have emergency departments available to you. And are there certain areas of the country where there are not enough emergency rooms? Because I know there's been a lot of consolidation in the hospital industry over the years. And it seems that when you do hear about new hospitals, they tend to be in more affluent environs, suburban areas, and not necessarily in the inner cities and in rural areas where they might be needed. That's true. The number of emergency departments has declined by 5% over the past decade. And at the same time, emergency department visits have gone up by 23%. So that number alone tells you that we're going to have crowded emergency departments. And 
I believe that the worsening economic situation will actually make that worse as hospitals struggle to remain alive and viable. And do you think healthcare reform will help this issue? I mean, if you have 32 million paying patients and so forth, I mean, are the hospitals that you are in touch with and emergency departments, I mean, are people sort of thinking, hey, you know what, people are going to get insurance, which is good, but the learning curve and the education, it would seem to be there that it might not change attitudes right away. And you might have a situation where you might even have more crowding if people suddenly know, hey, we're covered, we can go see somebody. Well, that's what Massachusetts found when they implemented health care reform. Yeah, tell me a little bit about that. Their emergency department visits went up by 7%. Now, I understand that it has since leveled off, but, but that is exactly what they found. And the larger point is that insurance is not access. Was it a situation where because they had coverage and they knew that they could get it paid for and that's just where they turned? Or what was the issue there? I think that was part of the issue is that people did have some coverage suddenly for conditions that had been declining and couldn't get in to see a primary care provider because there simply weren't enough of them and did turn to emergency departments for their visits. Kind of the thing you have to remember, though, is that if someone has a declining medical condition, it's going to get worse such that at some point they're going to be in the emergency department anyway, and they may be sicker than they would have been if they came in early. One of the things that if, you know, medical homes work, it's still going to take some time because all the statistics show that the biggest cost drivers of healthcare are from chronic conditions that people let go. And so to your point, it sort of stands to reason if you have uninsured folks that don't have a medical home, in the near term, we might see that across the country, like uh, of an uptick in emergency room usage. Yes, you might see that. And let me be clear that I'm not against the medical home. I think as a concept, um, it actually is a good concept that people would have a practitioner that they trusted who knew their case to take care of them. I just don't want people to assume that the establishment of that kind of model would decrease your emergency department visits. Well, with that, I would like to thank Dr. Angela Gardner, who's been our guest. She's president of the American College of Emergency Physicians, and she is also a professor of emergency medicine at the University of Texas Southwestern Medical Center in Dallas. And we've been talking about emergency rooms and myths that might be out there about non-urgent patients using these facilities when, in fact, disasters, real-life emergencies are continuing to plug up our emergency rooms in a situation that might be exacerbated in the years to come with healthcare reform. I'm Bruce Japs, and I've been your host, and you've been listening to ReachMD Radio on XM160, the channel for medical professionals. We'd like to thank Dr. Angela Gardner for being our guest. ReachMD, online, on demand, and on the air. Please check us out at www.reachmd.com. And I'd like to thank you today for listening.